Um, this is Palm Sunday, and I'm going to um, read a, a few verses from Luke chapter 18, or chapter 19, I'm sorry, about the entrance of Jesus into the city. But, excuse me, before I read that, I would like to read two very short poems, and they deal with the donkey and the day of Palm Sunday. This first one was written by G.K. Chesterton, so that's a long time ago, and it's a crazy set of words he put together about a, what seems to us to be a crazy creature, or at least to G.K. Chesterton. He must not have thought too much of the donkey, and so this is what he says. When fishes flew and forests walked and figs grew upon thorn, some moment when the moon was blood, then surely I was born. With monstrous head and sickening cry and ears like errant wings, the devil's walking parody of all four-footed things. The tattered outlaw of the earth, of ancient crooked will, starve, scourge, deride me, I am dumb, but I keep my secret still. Fools, I also had my hour, one far fierce hour and sweet. There was a shout about my ears and palms before my feet. Okay, now I've got to do is figure out how to make this phone work to get back to the other one. This also is about Palm Sunday and about, not the donkey, but about Jesus, but a little bit about the donkey. So, I thought it was an interesting perspective. Don't know much about horses. Don't know much about donkeys, for that matter. Do know that colts are pretty nervous and jumpy. Know they need to be trained for a rider. Know they have to get used to noises and know that they shy away from sudden movements and need careful handling by experienced trainers or riders. So what was Jesus doing taking a young colt, never having been ridden before, not familiar with strangers, let alone someone who usually walked everywhere, into a crowd of people waving and shouting? throwing strange objects right into the path of this animal and riding on a public highway through a darkened arch gate into crowded city streets lined with excited and sometimes hostile figures. Was he out to get himself killed? He was certainly going about it the right way. In Luke 18 it says, uh, verse 32, they, those who were sent ahead, they went and found it just as Jesus has told him. And when they were untying the colt, the owners asked, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the ground. 
And he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives. The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus said, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come, against, the, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. And they will dash you to the ground and the children within your walls, and they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Quite an indictment, quite a fearful prophecy, and we know that in the year 70 AD, that was indeed fulfilled, and that city was certainly trashed and burned and destroyed, and many, many thousands of people died. So, uh, I, I want us to think about one particular aspect of this journey of Jesus on that day as he went into the city of Jerusalem. Before I come, I'm going to come back to it. Before I do, I want to discuss something that I want to relate into or tie into the attitude that Jesus had. And so I'm going to start by just saying, forget Palm Sunday scene for a second. Forget the crowds and the stones and the people and I want to think about the attitude that Jesus had towards those people and about those people. And I'm going to just start by discussing our attitude toward people and about people, which is the fact that we are often intimidated and caught up and swept along in the flow and the tide of people and don't even stop to think or stop to set our own direction. We very easily... Um, go along with the crowd. And one of the ways that manifests itself is the fact that things change so much and so often because someone gets an idea, even a, perhaps a bad idea, sometimes good, and many people just flow and follow the leader whether they understand where they're going, whether they like where they're going or not, and change begins to happen. So let me just start there by recognizing the fact that change happens constantly and continuously in life. We see this, I think, in every possible aspect of life. I mentioned here uh, fashion. I, I remember bell-bottoms. I know some of you don't remember bell-bottoms, but I had this horrible fear that somebody would buy me a pair and expect me to wear them. Big old stripes down and up and down the pants and this wide, floppy bottom was not my piece of toast, let me tell you. But I remember them, and a lot of people wore them. Um, food. You know, I, I've been amazed the last few years to realize that a lot of people don't drink milk anymore. And that's why the dairy farms have plummeted and things have changed so tremendously in that I guess I grew up as a kid thinking, well, if you were a dairy farmer, you had a safe, you had a safe job because people were always going to drink milk forever and ever. It's healthy for you. You need it for your bones and all this stuff that I was told. 
and now realize that that's all going out the window. And so the, the uh, sale of milk as far as drinking has plummeted tremendously. Uh, I, I, call these, I call these changes, um, often they are fads. Um, sometimes these changes that sweep across society, no matter what area it may be, food or fashion or techno technology or whatever, sometimes it happens because there's an, a new thing possible. And this wasn't possible before. And so people started driving cars rather than riding horses because this was a new possibility. Technology had created this change and people got swept up in the change. And many times that's very positive. We can do things we didn't used to do because uh, technology has made it possible. So the change did not come about simply because of a new idea but it was because of a new possibility. But many times, many, many times, technology has nothing to do with it. Many, many times, a change has swept across a community or a country or a world simply because somebody started it and it became popular. It, didn't, it, it, it wasn't good or bad in itself. But it became the thing that everybody had to do and they just must do because everybody else had to do it and must do it. And of course, we all want to be in the loop. We all want to be part of the group. And therefore, the, the popularity swept this thing wrong, along. I'm all for technology. I have no problem, and the Bible certainly has no problem with us tinkering and, and, and inventing and finding better and easier ways to do things. The hang-up that I have that I'm going to present here this morning, the thing I want you to, to warn you about and, to be, and, and for us, call for us just to really be careful about, the thing that didn't work with Jesus was to be swept up with the crowd, to be carried along by popularity just because of an influence. Um, this is what I call a fad. A fad is... I, I listed here three things that seem to me to be part of the change simply due to a new person influencing, a fad. First of all, a fad just sort of emerges as sort of a surge or a swell. It just, sort of, it, it just quickly captures a bunch of people. The, other, the, the second thing is that it's suddenly the rage. It's suddenly everybody's for it. Everybody loves it. Everybody thinks it's just the greatest, most awesome thing. Thirdly, oftentimes a fad doesn't last very long. It sweeps in as some idea. It captures a lot of hearts. It makes a lot of uh, headlines, and then it's gone, and, and it's no longer, um, no longer around. I want to, to, I want to think about this. I want to try to zero in on this for a second and I'm going to come back to Jesus and I want to try to tie this in with with Jesus but I want to I, I want you to ponder for a second this morning why it is that fads happen why it is that change sweeps and moves and sifts and sorts people in different directions why it is that we follow the leader we do it because we like to be liked. We do it because we want to be accepted. Um, I have thought about this 
and you may not agree with me, but I think probably the question of human life that crosses most centuries and most, uh, and most cultures more than any other question that human beings ask is this one right here. This is universal. This is ageless. Young kids and old people. As human beings, we ask ourselves, we may not ask it out loud, we may not admit that we're asking this question, but we step in front of a mirror to see what we look like because we wonder what will people think. I include myself as much as anybody else in this building. This question is based on the idea that I want people to like me. I want people to be pleased with me. I want to be accepted. Now, that in itself isn't sinful. That in itself isn't wrong to have the, have the desire for people to, um, to be pleased with us. But here's where we get a little bit sideways. And, and it's the corollary idea that the way I get people to like me is to be like them, to be the image of what they would expect me to be or what they would want me to be. And usually, I gauge that or I base that on the idea of what are they like. And so it comes down to my little puny human brain, that this idea that says, if I can be like that person, surely they'll like me. Because they like themselves, they dress a certain way, they drive a certain car, they act a certain way, they, 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 they have these certain hobbies. Whatever it is, you can name it but, to infinity. <clears throat> we mimic one another. We act or dress or, or do things similar to other people. Partly, often, largely... So that those other people will think we're cool. We're so, we're so great. The opposite also applies. That we fear if we come across as too different from that person. If I look too different than they are. Than their look. They won't like me. So either way, either way you want to put it. It's, it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't really matter. The, if I come across as being um, too far ranging away from this person. If I, don't, if, if I don't seem to be on the same wavelength or like the same stuff, they'll probably turn away from me. They'll reject me and, and they won't like me. And so this, this idea just buries itself deeply within us and, and it's part of the fallenness of our nature. It comes, it, it comes right out of the infancy into childhood, into adolescence, and the teenage years, and it follows us all our life. That we are tempted to mimic or copy or follow someone's lead so that we will be accepted, so that we will be liked. Uh, the world of advertising, and again, I'm not thinking of any one type of advertising or any one particular kind of product or anything like this. Um, I'm simply saying in general that the business of advertising and promotion understands this more and more today than it did, I think, even in the past. I believe in my own lifetime, I feel like I've seen a change in the techniques 
of promotion or advertising, capitalizing not on information. Oh, you get some information. If you watch a commercial on TV, they'll tell you a little bit about the product. It's, you know, this is a, a thing to kill. This will spray this thing. It'll kill mosquitoes or whatever. They'll tell you some information. But that isn't the heart and the focus of what it's after, what they're at, of, of, of their technique. Mostly, advertising is aimed more at influencing you to believe not just that the product itself would be wonderful to have or it would do you a great service, but that the product is popular, that the product is something that everybody wants and everybody's trying to get. And so it's not simply information, but it's, it's influencing. It's, it's attempting to influence you, trying to shape the message to you that this product you got to have because... Why? Because it's a great product? Well, possibly. But mostly because everybody else has this, have this product. Mostly because um, this is the accepted product. This is the best idea. This is the greatest. This is what everybody wants to have. Surely you want to join the crowd. Surely you want to follow everybody else and, and, and make the same discovery that everybody else. Advertising has morphed into... Um, into uh, it, into influencing thinking and behavior more than promotion of a product or service. Billions of people are influenced in their behavior and their thinking by the advertising industry. Um, I, I discovered just not too long ago, and I'm a little slow, I understand that, that there's a new profession. I'd never heard of this through my whole life until, I don't know, a year or two ago. Social influencers. You heard of these folks? Uh, that's their whole career. What do you do to earn your bread? Well, I tell people what to think. I tell people what's popular. I tell people how they should decorate their house or whatever. Um, and, and, and people are very proud of being uh, uh, on the social networks, being an influencer. Because this is, this is the evolution uh, of our world to a greater and a greater and a greater degree that that it's not simply uh, a, the, the goal to give information about a product or a service. It is the goal to shape the thinking and change the behavior to envelop the idea that this is something you'd be crazy not to buy or to have or subscribe to because everybody agrees Everybody is getting on this bandwagon, and surely you want to be like everybody else. Surely you want other people to like you. Surely you want to be part of the crowd. Surely you want to be accepted. If you purchase and su or subscribe to this deal, you will be doing what everybody else is doing. That's the, that, is the, um, the, that seems to be the heart of, of what I'm, I'm just calling here the advertising industry. It's, it's not simply to sell a product, but to sell a sense of security, to sell a sense of, 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 of acceptance from other people. So it seems to me that the appeal, I'm getting back to Jesus, just hold on. 
It seems to me that the appeal of our world, the appeal of the the ideas and the products and, and so forth of life comes down to this idea of, of popularity often. Do you want to be liked? Do you want people to want you to come to their meeting or their party or their home or whatever? This, this is the central focus. It's a self-centered idea. But the temptation and the appeal is that they that everybody wants to be popular, that there's a pressure to be accepted by our peers. And this can be used, of course, to manipulate us in social ways, not just to sell us a product. It can be used for that, and that in itself, you know, is what it is. I mean, if if you look at an infomercial and you like what you see, you feel like you need what you see, um, buy it. Nothing wrong with that. What I'm talking about and trying to warn about is this idea that you're swept up within the, with the idea that you better buy it because 400,000 other people have already bought it, and if you don't, you're going to be the, the loser. Everybody's going to have this thing, and you're not going to have it, and what are you going to think about yourself. What are other people going to think of you? All of them have this, this grill, but you don't have this grill. It's the, it's the underlying social manipulation that I'm de- trying to describe, that I'm, that I'm trying to talk about. Uh, I'm coming back to Jesus. Just hang on. Followers of Christ or friends of the world. The Bible draws a line between them. And I'm just trying to point out the distinctions, the difference. A follower of Christ, for example, would say of an idea that's for sale in the marketplace, is it true? But I think that those who are only of this world don't really care if it's true. They're more concerned about what will other people think of me if I subscribe to this idea. Will it make me popular? Will will this bring acceptance to me? Or perhaps the follower of Christ may say, okay, is this right? Is this the right thing to do? Is this behavior? Is this product? Is this habit? Is this right? But again, the, the, the worldly idea comes back to popularity. Does this work? The worldly idea is not, does it work, but is it working currently and in the popular? In other words, there's many ideas that have worked and worked well, and suddenly, just kind of like drinking milk, they're no longer popular. I don't know why. They are still effective, but there was a great change swept through, and somehow everybody was caught up, and this old method is just dead because society moved away from it, not because it wasn't effective, but just because something new blew in on the wind. And I'm simply trying to say to us, if we're going to be followers of Christ, the things in this column on the left should be our concern way more and beyond those that, that, that column on the right. So now I'll come back to Jesus for a minute. 
when he rode in there and they cheered him and he was so popular on that day. I mean, I can't imagine quite what that was like if you were, if a person was very famous. I'm sure perhaps they could relate to these crowd type of moments. I just finished reading a book about Stonewall Jackson. And, you know, there was a period of time, 1862, 1863. He was probably the most popular, well-known, most famous soldier in the world. And uh, he, he, he was like Elvis. He, he, had, he, couldn't, he couldn't enter a village or go anywhere without crowds of people mobbing him. One day, uh, even, even uh, Union soldiers that had been captured and made into prisoners of war by the Confederates would cheer him when he came by or when he came and talked to them. They would write letters home and say, I had the great good fortune of being captured by Stonewall Jackson. It was amazing, just a tremendous phenomenon. One time he uh, came out of his tent and there was a Union soldier, a POW, who he found um, with his horse, with Stonewall Jackson's horse, and he was pulling hairs out of his tail, out of his horse's tail. And he said to the, to the soldier, why are you pulling hairs out of my horse's tail? And he said, I can get a dollar apiece for him. That's fame. That's famous. I can't relate to that. But he had, Jesus had this moment where everybody's cheering him. I mean, this was the parade, and he was the float, and he was the one who was the center of, of, of attention and celebration. Please look at that first line. The one, the words that's in caps, if you can see them. I want us to understand today that though Jesus had Palm Sunday and though he had this moment of adulation, he was not motivated by it. He did not strive toward it. He was not tempted to be popular. And, he, and, and that's because his life was directed by a spiritual purpose. And so, because of that, all the cheers of Palm Sunday and all the jeers of the next Friday didn't affect him or change him or slow him down or change his direction. Jesus, it says, headed for the cross. Um, we're told that this was the purpose. He told his disciples over and over, I must go and suffer. I must be put to death and on the third day rise again. And, and he, and he single-mindedly headed towards this destiny. And he wasn't turned to the left by the cheers, and he wasn't turned to the right by the jeers, because these things he kept in their place. That's all I'm saying. I, I, I'm happy if you have the cheers of the crowd. If you're a hero, if people mob you whenever you walk out of the building, I'm thrilled for you. I think that's, that's great. But don't turn your head about it. Don't be uh, tempted or change the destiny of your life or the purpose of your heart because of it. That's what I'm trying to say about Jesus. These things did not deter his purpose. I just went through a couple of verses in the Gospel of John. I'm going to read them to you. I have them referenced here. But there are just a few places where Jesus himself pointed this out and reminded people, look, you can say what you want. You can cheer me if you want. You can jeer me if you need to. I'm not going to pay attention to any of it because I'm marching to the beat of a higher drum. I hear a drumbeat coming through in the inner recesses of my heart. I hear the music of heaven, and I'm keeping step in time with that. And the things of this world, I will, I will observe, I will participate in, but I will not. They will never have my loyalty. They will never have my heart. I'm not afraid of them. I'm not excited about them. 
and I'm not going to be swept along by their fads. So here, for example, Jesus said, the son does what he sees the father doing. Not the papers, not the headlines, not the internet, not the crowds going, ooh, 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 Jesus. The son does what the father does. Here's another, John 5.30. I do not seek to please anybody except the God, the, the Father who sent me. It's all I care about. I'm not swayed by all of the well by, by all of the autograph seekers. John 6. He says, you know, the flesh, and this is all of the things that we're tempted by, and this is all of the things that we're influenced by. The desire to be liked and, and to fit in and to please other people and to ha have good things said and spoken and written about us. Jesus said, Let's look at this. It counts for nothing. It's just a perspective that I want us to, to, to come back to this morning. John, John chapter 8. What I have heard from him, I tell to the world. Where did Jesus get his sermon material? Did Jesus speak those things that were popular in the day? In other words, did Jesus kind of take a poll and gauge and say, oh, this would be a, this would be a good topic for this crowd? No, that's not what he says is, I'm, I'm listening to heaven. And if heaven tells me this is the topic or these are the words, then that's what I say. I'm, I'm motivated from somewhere beyond the social media. John 8, again, verse 26. I don't do anything on my own. I don't, I don't follow the crowd's applause. I don't fear when the, when the crowd um, is, doesn't applaud me, but says crucify me. I don't, none of that is the, the focus on my radar. I don't do things on my own. I speak what God has taught me to speak. These words you hear are not my own. They, does this sound like someone who's letting a social media or a social influencer guide his life? No. It does not. Here he says to Pilate, my, my kingdom is not from here. These crowds are not where I get my motivation. I don't get my salary from them. I don't get my well-being from them. I don't get my motivation from them. My kingdom, the music that I hear, the drum beat that I march to is from heaven. It's not from here. Okay. So, I want to ask you and us, I want to ask us this question to bring this back home. Where do we find our motivation? What music do we listen to? Um, we cannot escape our humanity. All of us love to be loved, want to be accepted and liked and affirmed and and none of us want to be criticized. None of us want to have people say, crucify him, crucify him. None of us want to be accused of being irrelevant to the current life because we're so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. We don't like that. We don't want that. We shy away from that and we, we head on the other side, the opposite side of the street. So I'm asking you to think about 
I'm almost done, actually. We'll see what the, see what I can do like this. But I, I just want you to, um, to think about this. What do you allow to influence you? Um, here's three words. And I'm not putting these words out on a, a highway billboard. I'm not putting these words on TV where many people from the world would see them because I know the ranking of many, many people in this world. I'm asking you. If you had to rank these three words, you know, I see many people fall into sin, sinful practices, sinful habits, sinful ways. And when you talk to them or you ask them why, they'll give you one of these two words, not righteousness, of course. But they'll either say, well, this is the pop what's popular or this is what's convenient. They will say one of those two things every time. It'll boil down to, I am not walking with the Lord I am sinning against the Lord because that is convenient. Or it makes me popular. I'm simply saying to you, if you had to list these three in a list of priority, A, B, C, which would you put at the top? Jesus said, well, the, the, the righteous thing is really my only line that I want to fill out. The other two things he said count for nothing. But... The righteous one means everything. And so it's something for us, it's, it's something for us to ponder um, how, how, we would, how we would rate these. What music do you march to? Here's a couple verses, and I'll close, that are not describing Jesus and what Jesus did. These are a couple verses written to you and to me. These aren't about Jesus. This is God speaking to us. For example, in John 15, Jesus says, um, it is about belonging. It is about identity. The music you hear depends on who you are. And he said, if you belong to the world, you would mostly, first and foremost, want to be popular with the world. That would be what motivates you more than anything. But if you don't belong to the world, if you belong to the Father, Jesus said, look, I've chosen you out of the world. He said to his disciples, look, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. This is, this is, a, this is pointing out to us that there's a drumbeat that we should be able to hear, and that is the drumbeat of heaven. Here's a... Here's a diagram I just put of the verse of, in James chapter 1 that says, look, if, if you're poor and you're unpopular, this is James 1, 9 and 10. If you don't have much of anything and you don't have many friends and nobody gives a rip about you, you can rejoice in something. You're a child of God. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You have a high, exalted position before the Lord. And so James says, irregardless of your social status or your economic condition, rejoice in your high position that you are a son of God. Then he turns around and says the opposite. If, on the other hand, you're rich and famous and probably have lots of friends and lots of opportunities and you're the toast of society, you should rejoice, not in that, but rejoice in the fact that you get to serve God, that you are a lowly and a humble servant of the Lord. In other words, the things on the left, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, doesn't really make any difference. Before the Lord, 
this is the, this what this is what James is saying should be our focus. Here's another verse from the gospel from the book of James. Don't you understand that there's a built-in enmity, and that if you're popular with the world for the wrong reasons, you're not going to be popular with God. And always, if you're popular with God, then you're going to be out of joint with the world, and therefore you won't be popular. Because the two are opposing forces. This is the point that James is making. Uh, let me close with this verse in Isaiah chapter 8. You've, you've read this many times. I know you're familiar with this verse. It's a powerful warning and reminder to us. The Lord said to me with his hands strong upon me, do not follow the way of this people. You can translate that into any cultural significance that you want. Do not be motivated by following the way of this people. If you want to buy the product, great, big deal, no problem. But why are you buying this service? Why are you buying this product? Is it because it meets a need of yours? Is it because it brings rejoicing to your life? Or is it because, <clears throat> well, it's just, it's, it's, the, it's the pressure from others to think like this or live like this. J uh, Isaiah says, the Lord says, do not call conspiracy everything that they call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Or dread what they dread. Is that a way of saying march to your own drum, the drum of, of heaven rather than of earth? Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread what they dread. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one that you are to fear or dread. I just want to use this moment, this Sunday, as a reminder to us all that Jesus didn't care about those crowds and their cheers, even though he loved it. I'm sure he received it graciously. He waved to the children. He defended the children, and he said, look, if they don't sing, the stones are going to surely sing. Uh, he, wasn't, he, he wasn't putting down their genuine effort to praise him. It wasn't like that at all. Jesus wasn't a grump. But that wasn't why he rode into the city, so that he would be cheered. It wasn't about the fact that he... Would, that whether he was liked. So I'm just simply saying to you as we close, don't be antisocial. Love everybody. But don't pay attention to anyone when it comes to setting the direction or the purpose of your life. Anyone. Even your own family. Let it be the drumbeat of heaven that you march to. Stay in step with it and follow the direction that it leads you because it'll take you to heaven. Heavenly Father, we... We, we get excited to realize how little influence the world needs to have on us because someday it will pass away and someday it will no longer even be a factor. And then we will be so glad that we did not base our life around the accolades of the world and about the, be so concerned about the things that the world gets all worked up about or that we weren't afraid of the things that the world fears worst. None of us like climate change or, or the thought of it, or un, but we're not fearful of these things that seem to, to cause such a stir because we're not listening to this music as our, to set the direction of our life. We hear it in the background. We pay attention to it so that we can respond to other people. But way above it is the, is the rocks singing. It's the, it's the bang of heaven's drum, and it's calling us in a direction of serving you only and of honoring you only. If that brings popularity, great. If it doesn't, we don't care. 
We want to we want to be like Jesus who who served this purpose with a very singular commitment. We ask this and we thank you that you will enable and and, and strengthen us to do it in the name of Jesus. Amen.